Hello there, folks, and welcome to the Punch Like a Girl podcast. I'm Nathaniel. And I'm Liz. So this is the show where the two of us take a look at um, graphic novels or trade collections featuring female protagonists. And we're getting into a trade collection with this one. And it is the one and only Ms. Marvel. We are taking a look at volume number one, uh, which ha is also known as No Normal. Um, so before we get into anything else, Liz, this was one that um, I, I think I put it on the list, but you had actually, you were aware of this even before I did that, weren't you? Yes. Um, I had gone to um, the American Library Association Midwinter Conference in um, Boston last year. Um, and they had discussed that on a graphic novel panel I had kind of sat in, a, in on and observed, and it did make their list, um, I think in 2016, for one of the best graphic novels out that year, and recommended graphic novel for young adults. So this, um, this, the, this volume, I don't, what was the year? This, was 2015 mm -hmm. um, was the year this actually came out and this did win the 2015 Hugo Award for Best Graphic Story and it has had later volumes nominated for the same award. Um, I think it's up for it again this year actually. I think volume five? It is? I'm not sure. Yes. Whatever, whatever's the most recent volume is up for that same award this year. So this is, um, this is pretty well praised stuff. Um, so we'll get into the synopsis in a minute. Did you had anything else before we got really got going? Nope. I mean, I think I had heard about it a little bit in my library circles that it was popular and that this was a really new take um, for Marvel. Um, so I was excited to hear that. Um, so yeah. So, uh, for credits, the writer on this was G. Willow Wilson. Art was by Adrian Alfona. Uh, coloring was Ian Herring. And the letterer was Joe uh, Karamanga, or Magna. Um, there were various cover artists, but unless we start talking about any of the specific covers, I'm gonna, we'll bring those artists up at the time. Um, otherwise, I'm going to move on as far as credits go. So, this has... Uh, a little bit different setting than Marvel usually does because Marvel, somewhat infamously at this point, sets the vast majority of their stuff in New York, um, New York City specifically. This time, we're in New Jersey. So it. Jersey City. Yeah. And focusing in on the character of Kamala Khan, who is 16. She is a Pakistani American. Um, and she is the youngest of a Muslim family. And she's just a teen girl. And she thinks the Avengers are cool. And she loves, in particular, uh, Carol Danvers, um, who at this point is Captain Marvel, though uh, previously she had been known as Ms. Marvel. And there is an incident that's actually the result of kind of a crossover event. Um, and I won't dive too much into this, but just because comics are weird. Um, as, as many people know, I'll dive into it deeply, or just, I'll skim it. So, part of another event ended in the detonation of what was called the, the Terrigen Bomb. So, the Terrigen Mist is 
it, it is what it sounds like. It is a mist, and it is normally used by a branch of superhero characters in Marvel called the Inhumans. Where, and they are, oh God, too complicated to get into. But short version is they have superpowers that basically lay dormant until the mist hits them. And then the mist causes whatever their latent superpower is to manifest. And when the Terrigen bomb was set off in the upper atmosphere and the mist basically wafted over the entire planet, anyone that it hit who happened to have inhuman genes in there somewhere, or the correct inhuman gene, the right mix of them, they then develop superpowers, and that's what happens to Kamala. She is out one night against her parents' wishes, gets hit with this miss, and then suddenly she has a power that is... It's kind of shape-shifting. It's, it's kind of a shape-shifting with an emphasis on stretching, I think might be the best way to... Yeah, I say that's a good way to... To describe it. it. Um, but it is kind of both. It's not quite just stretching, which is Mr. Fantastic stuff, and it's not just shape-shifting, so it's not quite mystique. It is a kind of a blend uh, with an even... And she gets... She can go really big, and she can go really little. So yep. I guess that's kind of part of the stretching, but that's also sort of its own thing. But her arm and hands are especially affected. Yeah, she can make very big fists. Yes. Um, and... Her first instinct when she realizes she can do this is to become a superhero. And it kind of follows her attempts to do that, her issues with trying to do that, the things that she encounters in her own town that might actually warrant a superhero mm -hmm. being involved. And the volume... I'm not going to say it ends on a cliffhanger, but this, this being... Um, one that was, you know, this was intended to be an ongoing series as opposed to most of the other trades we looked at. It, it's not intended to, like, be a, as much of a complete story. This is pretty much, this volume is just the origin story. And it doesn't get, um, like, her first, what will probably be her first major villain gets introduced by the end, mm -hmm. but is not dealt with mm -hmm. yet. So that's just a setup for later stories. So we'll we'll get into more details as we talk about specific things, but uh, overall thoughts. I liked it. Um, I think what I felt was that I I'm looking forward more to the next couple volumes. Like I definitely want to keep reading, but I felt a little bogged down in the fact that it was an origin story, um, and. But I realize, you know, it, it has to start somewhere. Um, I think the message, while important, like, oh, it's okay to be yourself and embrace who you are, was a little heavy-handed at points. Like, she was like, oh, I want to look like Miss Marvel in this, or Captain Marvel in this shape-shifting ability. And then, you know, learned that, no, she is this Pakistani Muslim geeky teen girl and to embrace that which I think is a great message but I think it was a little too obvious and like it she made up her mind rather quickly about that I would have liked in some ways I was like I get this struggle but I would have liked a little more struggle and at the same time not that to be like let's hit this home this message so I think that annoyed me a little bit that being said, I love the character of Kamala. 
I love her family. I really like her parents and her brother, even though he's a little sanctimonious, but he is protective as well. Um, yeah, I really like her parents. I really like that we get to know her dad's a bit of a softy. Um, there's a really touching scene between them. Um, I love some of the details in the books, like things like the shirts they're wearing. Um, at one point, her friend Bruno has like a reference to Back to the Future on his shirt. Um, there is a flying sloth in the mist, a sloth with wings, which I don't know why it's there. I think it's just a random detail, but it made me so happy because it's a sloth <laughs> with wings. Um, random, but it's, it's amazing. And <laughs> I'm a big sloth fan, just so you know. Um, there's just really like little funny asides in terms of things that are written on the gas station. Um, let me look at some of my notes, but there's a lot of fun to be had. I think my main issue was that it was a, the origin story part of it dragged on a bit for me. And I think that's why I didn't read it for as much as I enjoyed it. I didn't read it that fast. I took a couple weeks on this one. But I think it was also because I wanted to catch all those little funny details. So you didn't want to just like skim it over. You were like, oh God, what's in the art? Like what, what, what? I think one of the, the henchmen of the main villain had a shirt that said like, I'm a bad guy on it. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and just these little quirky, like snarky things that were added in the details. Um, there was like a slurpy thing that was like a radioactive razzleberry squelchy or something. It was called a circle Q instead of a circle K. <laughs> um, so that was a cute little detail. Um, MeTube instead of YouTube. There was just a lot of like funny little details that I liked about this. Um, yeah, so I think that's my main take on it. I want to ask because I, I get what you're saying mm -hmm. about the um, it, it it is it is pretty on the nose on the embrace yourself message, but at the same time I I can't help but think that that's probably a good call given you know Kamala's background and the fact that she is representing both a um, ethnicity and a um, religion mm -hmm. that at least in, in American culture, I think kind of has an instinct to hide and not embrace themselves because there there is a ridicule level for that. So in a, in a vacuum, I agree with you, mm -hmm. just sort of looking at it for how hard and how repeatedly and how quickly the embrace yourself message is hit. But for the audience that this is written for and for what she represents as a character. I think that it's, and again, from a strictly narrative perspective, I'm not sure that it necessarily makes it cohesive, but knowing when this came out, who she is, where where the country is as a whole, I think it makes a lot of sense to hit that hard as opposed to have her struggle with it more because then it's, it's almost like you're reinforcing the doubts that that population that's a good already point. has about themselves. That's a good point. As as a as an educator, I'm like this is a good message. Let's 
promote this and do that as a reader of a graphic novel like casual reader I'm like yeah I don't need this hit upon again and again and again I get it but for her audience yeah I think that it does make sense and I think given the social and political climate we're in right now it is a very important message to make so I think but there's part of me, the selfish reader part of me, that's just like, I want to get to the bad guy. I want to see her <laughs> teaming up with people. Come on, can we get to that stuff? I, I want volume two, essentially, right now. <laughs> and I like, again, so much I liked about it. Love her family. Love that they don't shy away from... They're not like, oh, she's a Muslim, and then we're going to completely ignore that. No, I mean, like, there's a scene that takes place in the mosque. There's um, some language details in there. There's there's a lot. They embrace it. They embrace her religion. Um, they do. I think part of the way they balance that is that she's not the most devout member of her family. Yes. So that, but because there are other members of her family who are a bit, a bit... Um, more into the into the practice of that of their religion, and you can still see that it's still an important part of her family life. It's not like she's rebelling against it, but because no. she she's not as steeped in it, you still get a good dose of it without feeling like it's being hit over the head too much. Yeah, she is a. I think she's a well balanced character. I think there is a little bit of a mischievous side to her, but she is. I think essentially, you know, a good, honest person that wants to bring good into the world. But there's this little bit of a fun, geeky side to her and the like, well, I'm going to do what I have to do to help the world. And sometimes it'll get me in trouble. I'm going to break my curfew once again. <laughs> yeah, she she is a very, she's a very altruistic character in that sense. And that literally her first instinct as soon as she has powers is great. I can help people. Mm hmm. It's, you know, to make comparisons to, say, Marvel's most famous character, people tend to forget this, but Spider-Man's first instinct, once he realized he had powers, was, how can I make money off this? <laughs> yes. Yeah, that is which, not which is goal. Which is a completely understandable thing, but it's, it's... There's something nice about a character who their first instinct, when they have power, is to do the best they can. And there's a line, and I... It's such a good line, I have to imagine it's pulled from somewhere else. Mm -hmm. But I don't know where, but I love it anyway, so I'm going to quote it. And she says this to herself as like a pump, as a pep-up thing. She says, good is not a thing you are, it's a thing you oh, yeah. do. I quoted that too, I had it written down. It's great. That, I, like I said, that is such a good line that I... And this is not me being like, there's no way that author came up with that. But like, that is so good and so succinct, it must be... That that can't be new. That must have been around for a while. And if it isn't, it should now be a thing. Yes. If 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 um if G Willow Wilson came up with this, you know, my God, give her every prize in the world and put that on on half my T-shirts right now. And it really encompasses who she are, who she is, and her approach to being a superhero. Um, you know, she, you do good. Like, you don't cut yourself on the back for it. You just keep going forward, so. And and they also, they, they have a nice contrast with that with the character, because I, I wrote I wrote this one down when I was, when I was re-skimming it. Um, the character of Zoe. Oh, God, Zoe's awful. Zoe, the concern troll. 
Who? Oh, I hate her. I, 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 she's the kind of person that I hate. I love her inclusion as a character, though, especially in contrast oh, to what we just talked about. You know, good is not something you are, it's something you do. Because Zoe is the quintessential person who goes, oh, I'm such a good person. I'm so, oh, your family's not gonna like honor kill you because you, you snuck out and came to this party, are they? I'm just concerned. Like she's, she's not a good person, but she believes she is so hard. Mm -hmm. It's it's infuriating, but it's just it's a great contrast to that sentiment. She's just so passive aggressive. Oh, she's awful. She's, she's the worst. Um. So yeah, she's that kind. I I wrote that she's that kind who knows how mean she is. She knows that she's awful, but she tries to mask it and pretends to be all good natured and like concerned about Kamala and concerned about everyone, but is really just being awful. Kind of. <laughs> So, um, I, so that we can talk some of the supporting cast. She's got Bruno, yes. who is her her friend that uh, has a massive crush on her. He does. He's so yeah. Do you think? Do you think she just doesn't realize it, or I don't. I don't think she quite fully realizes it. I don't think she's quite. She's got a lot going on with her face with superhero powers, and that's you're not fair. supposed to keep sneaking out and like especially sneaking out to meet a boy who's helping you like figures things out that would not fly in her family so it might be a little bit purposely ignoring the fact that yeah maybe her friend has a crush on her like mm. which I I get and have done in the past like I know what that's like so um, I could see that happening she also doesn't seem like the type that would be like, oh yeah, he likes me. Mm-hmm. She's That's true. She's too she's a little too awkward and like preoccupied with other things to really think about, oh, so and so has a crush on me. So Um now here's a here's a question relating to her family that I'm I I under I, I came across this and I understand it, but I'm of two minds of it. Mm -hmm. um, now, by and large, this was kind of you know embraced and praised within you know the um, American Pakistani community, within the American Muslim community. There were some, and there and there were a minority, um, but there were some who expressed concern that her, not her specifically, but her family, is too stereotypical in terms of a Muslim family, in terms of the controlling parents in terms of the brother who you know is saying how he'll pray for her and she needs to go to the mosque more and there was some degree of concern that it reinforces a that that some of the depiction of her family reinforces a stereotype and i'm not in a position to say whether or not it's true but i did notice that i that in people who argued against that and they never refuted that that is a stereotype mm -hmm. so i i'm prepared to just kind of roll with that it is to a certain extent and I guess the question becomes how much of a problem is that um again I don't know enough about like the inner workings of you know what stereotypes other than the obvious 
gross misinformed stereotypes that work about the it's obviously team. not working in with those it's not working with those so i don't have enough to say on that i think i think even within the book itself i started to get to see the other sides of her family like that her dad is kind of a softy and like sweet and like they have a great her little dad part. is her her mom's a little one-dimensional at least in this volume her mom is a little bit of the overbearing protective like oh my god where were you kind of mom which actually the way her parents interacted with her and with each other reminded me of a friend of mine um and her parents who i'm really fond of like one of my best friends so i i kind of like that because i had a personal connection to it but um i guess i could see that but i think she herself is so multi-dimensional and very time a very timely character that I think, and even with her brother, you saw that yes, he was more religious and a little more sanctimonious, but you also got to see his protective side of her. Yeah. And I think that makes sense in an older brother. So I think there's enough to relate to that, and I think there's a, enough stereotypes being shattered that I think that will... I personally, and again, I mean, I'm not speaking for everyone, I think that will offset anything that does to reinforce certain stereotypes. I, I think where I end up landing on it is that I, I, I acknowledge that, yeah, that might be a stereotype, but it, it's, it's really hard to balance being properly representing, you know, a culture Mm -hmm. And uh, avoiding the stereotype because as much as we may not like them, and there and there are some stereotypes that are just you know negative propaganda, but most stereotypes have some root somewhere. So there's some there's some original kernel of truth, mm -hmm. and and it can become a matter of because I try and think well what was the alternative where if they make it less of that and it's more like oh see see how much they are like an all American family. But then it becomes a matter of, well, this might as well be a story of white people. All you did was change the color. You're doing nothing to embrace, you know, what you chose to make them. Mm -hmm. They could be anything. And while there's a validity in that in terms of sort of cultural assimilation and getting um, an audience to understand, you know, that we're not all that different, it does feel like you're avoiding... Mm -hmm. unique history and unique perspectives of that culture or that religion or what have you. So I think it's just, it's just, it's, it's just kind of, you have, you, I think when you make your choice as to whether you're going to go, okay, I'm going to make this character's family this race, but I'm not going to bring it up. And then you're just not dealing with it. Or you're like, I'm really going to get into it. And then you deal with, I think, a certain degree of being accused of stereotyping because you have to address those things. You have to address where those stereotypes come from. So mm -hmm. I think it's, it. I don't think there is a perfect solution. You're, you're kind of accepting this is what comes with what I've chosen to, to write. Mm -hmm. um, and, 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 and from my perspective, being someone who is in no position to I know. have a perspective about much of this. It, I, 
I feel like I can see where the concern comes in, but I think like you, I feel like it, especially Kamala herself, is has enough nuance and dimension that it it makes up for a lot, and the rest of it feels like simply trying to be as representative as possible for what is some degree of a um, relatable family experience for that population. Mm-hmm. Which, again, I can't speak to, but that's what it feels like Was the aim was. And I think we have to keep in mind that it's some people can relate to that family situation who aren't necessarily Muslim. Oh, that, oh yeah. That's, you know, that's like there are true. plenty of, you know, more strict Christian families that might be able to relate to that. Or, you know, in each, I mean, each race, each religion, you know, each different family structures just might be able to relate to that. The over, The overbearing mother, the like, kind of brother who is a little sanctimonious you know a little like bossy the father um, who goes no i get it but you're still grounded yeah yeah i could see my father saying that honestly <laughs> <laughs> um so i think we need to keep that in mind i also think we need to keep in mind that this is the first volume this is our first meeting the family they needed to focus on developing the main character and giving her nuance before they open up that to the family. And I think the fact that we've already seen a little bit of a different side, a little bit of nuance to her brother and father speaks a lot for probably what is going to happen. And I think we'll see a more multi-dimensional family I, life for her. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, trying to think what else I had. Oh, I, I, I did like that, um, I like the sort of degree to which she is rebelling. Like, she does disobey, she does sneak out of the house, mm-hmm. but she's never like, oh, my family sucks. She Ugh, loves her family. Yeah, she and does. I would love them too. They're awesome. Even, even though mom is a little screechy, like, she means well, and I love the dad. <laughs> The dad is great, but I like when she's going um, to into what she knows is the den of these bad guys uh-huh. who have lasers and super weapons. She she has this thought to herself that you know I wish I can't tell them what I'm doing, but I wish they could understand that it's the values they taught me that is driving me to do this. That the greater good is important that you should defend others who can't defend themselves you know these are values she was raised with and that it is the values they raised her with that's causing her to do that even though she knows at the same time they would still not be okay yes i did like that about her that i think she is the way she is and makes the decisions she is and is altruistic because of the way her family raised her and how much they care about her even if Yes, they're strict, and they put a curfew on her, and are like, "No, you're not going to go to parties. Not be careful talking to boys. Things like that." Um, she she rebels in a she more she doesn't like break free, such as like wiggles. You know, <laughs> she 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 got she got she shakes the bars a little bit. Yes, <laughs> um, 
Though I wouldn't say she's in a cage. No, you know? no, you're you're right. That, she's I, got wiggle room. I, I, like that that was a bad bad choice of words because it implies something that's not the case. But yeah, she she's not she's not trying to bang. She's not trying to break down walls, but she is just kind of you know pressing on them a little bit. Like what what can I what can I work with here? Like uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna stretch stretch the bounds a little bit. You know, figure this out. Um. So I really appreciate the values she has because of her family is, I think, the point I was trying to make. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we don't get... It, the, the focus is very much squarely on her. I think for our first volume, that's probably where it should be. Mm -hmm. um, so what were your thoughts in terms of like seeing her come to grips with her powers and sort of the first things that she started dealing with. And part of the reason I'm asking is because I know you felt like Batgirl got shortchanged because she had to go up against D-list villains. I think Batgirl having to go up with against those villains actually, and knowing, having read Batgirl first, helped me and be like, okay, she's got to start small. I get that. Um, she's also not really in the thick of things by being in Jersey City instead of... She's very much on the outskirts, yeah. So, that made a little more sense to me. She's also 16 and is quite a bit younger than Barbara Gordon, so, yeah. Um, I think that made a difference, too. I... I thought... I was okay with it. That being said, I was like, well, why aren't we seeing the main villain until the very end? And I'm like, well, I guess they want a cliffhanger and to go into volume two with something. But I think it was a little bit too late to start talking about the main villain that she's gonna meet up with in the next volume. I wanted that a little sooner. That being said, her, you know, I like that she saves Zoe's life, even though Zoe is awful I would have <laughs> I would I would have probably helped Zoe but it would have been much more of a struggle for me <laughs> um, I probably would have let Zoe get a little wetter and struggle a little <laughs> more. <laughs> you, you can hold your breath for another 10 seconds before, <laughs> before I drag you out of the river yeah um, <laughs> She, again, she's got to start small. Um, I like, too, that she doesn't always... is She isn't always like, I'm going to charge in here and fight everything and it's going to be great. I like that she's like, I can't handle this right now. I'm going to get myself <laughs> out of here and regroup and figure this out. Um, for so, so I guess I kind of felt different than I did with Batgirl. Like, with Batgirl, I was like, dang it, why does she have to go up against these like D-list villains why isn't she kicking butt already but with Kamala I think I understood it better and I think I got that balance in her character like she's still really getting her footing she's she's an awkward teenage girl like I, I like that she's smart enough to know that I'm not gonna charge in here and fight and take over and she's like I'm gonna run out of here and figure this out first and think this over so I appreciated that about her, which I didn't as much with Batgirl, I guess. All right. What was your take? Um, I I thought it I thought it was pretty well built up. I thought 
it, it was it was weird and I mean obviously I don't know I don't know how much Marvel has the um, has the writers who are writing you know individual issues I don't know how much they have them pace with an eye on the trade volumes um, and by saying that I'm saying you know the that the writer would have introduced the uh, the villain you know in the monthly issue where mm-hmm. where she thought was best and that may or may not ha- she may or may not have known when that would fall in terms of volumes of the trades that's true but again at this point a marvel and dc tend to have an eye on the trades a lot more than they used to so she also might have been well aware but sort of taking it as a volume unto itself i almost feel like it would have been better to not get a full reveal on the character who's dubbed the inventor mm-hmm. um like to just have him mentioned but just have her deal with just this you know little kind of street gang thing in this house with their lasers and their robots and maybe just leave it at that mm-hmm. um did you notice one of the robots had a had a uh, karate kid headband i did not notice that i did notice <laughs> I mainly noticed the t-shirts and... I am a bad guy. The gas station. Yeah. And the radioactive Razzleberry Squishy. I just like the sound of that. <laughs> um, but I, I think... And I think a big part of... Maybe why it, this specific aspect worked better than in Batgirl Year One is that there was more of an emphasis on kamala herself and it probably helped that she actually had superpowers she had to figure out which batgirl didn't that's Bat- true Bat- she's girl. like uh i'm gonna I, I remember her in the gym um well in the locker room being like oh okay I'm, I'm gonna figure this out and gets big all of a sudden and wrecks everything and then gets in trouble and she's like oh crap yeah whereas yeah. as barbara in in batgirl she she already had the skill set she basically just needed to gear up mm-hmm. whereas Kamala's got a whole other set of things to figure and out. it's not like she just has one clear superpower. Um, I actually had some confusion in the beginning with the shape-shifting, and I'm like, well, is she seeing herself one way, and people are seeing her another way, and can she just shape-shift into one form, or... Uh, so it was good that they spent some time on it because even as a reader, I had some trouble figuring it out. Her her powers are kind of loosely defined. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it does seem to it seems to be variations on on stretching, and it the impression I get is that her shape shifting is, you know, because she is stretching her body into a somewhat different. Mm-hmm. It form. also. It, it seems to have a, a subconscious component as well because initially when she thinks of herself as a superhero she literally appears as Captain Marvel as well as um, Carol Danvers when she was Ms. Marvel complete with blonde hair mm-hmm. and and a whole different look so but then later when she's trying to look like someone else she accidentally turns into her mother mm-hmm. so there, there does seem to be a, a, a subconscious component at least as far as that end of it goes it makes sense on a metaphorical level her powers a lot of them the fact that shape shifting like oh you know i'm trying to be someone else figure out if i'm comfortable in someone else's skin and i think that becomes less of a focus further on in the book as she embraces her powers and the fact that yes she 
she has these powers, but she's still going to be her, and she's going to build herself her own superhero outfit, like incorporating a burkini and everything. Her, her powers do kind of make more thematic sense than actual nuts and bolts logistic sense. Yes, and the, the whole, as we were saying, she's one to stretch her, her family's curfews and limits on her as opposed to like breaking through so stretching as a power kind of makes sense so I think her powers work on a metaphorical level I think I think we've hit everything I had um yeah I think most of my things as well yeah oh I think the other thing worth mentioning um because Liz found this obviously I, you know, my level of quote-unquote research, you know, that thing that I don't do. Um, but you found a TED Talk by the author, mm -hmm. um, which I would encourage anyone to seek out because it's, it's a really interesting look into her mindset when approaching this work, particularly in terms of her thoughts on the readership, on the audience. And it was, it was pretty insightful stuff. We will probably link it. Yes. I will afterwards. Yes. Um, yeah, I think the author put a lot of thought into her audience and who it was and um, the TED Talk we watched was in 2015 and I was like, she kind of knew what direction we were headed in. Huh. Yeah. She was very insightful. So it was, a, it was a really good TED Talk but you could tell she put a lot of thought into her audience, especially as millennials who are going through a lot and who are looking for hope but are angry um, at the same time, how to move forward in terms of social justice was the main thread of her talk, put much more articular articulately by her. Of course I mess up the word articulate. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> all right then. Um, one other thing I did notice in my notes was I, and given her values and the things her family stresses, how I was amused by how convinced she was that it was her drink that was making everything strange happen. Like even though she had a sip and she, then she had a out, sip of alcohol accidentally and then spit it out immediately. Immediately. Like, That's why all this mist is happening. This is why I'm having all these strange powers. Like there was something in my drink that must have been it. That little, like the tiny bit that hit my lips and might have actually accidentally been swallowed, is what is doing all of this clearly and I just thought that was great and I was like wow definitely hitting the anti-alcohol message <laughs> strongly and taking it to the extreme but as someone who was also kind of a goody-goody as a teen at that age I probably would have freaked a little bit too. <laughs> so I, I, I got where she was coming from you know, wait, when you have your very first sip of alcohol and then next thing you know your body is completely changed and is stretching weird. And they're sloths with wings. <laughs> like, come on. And people are singing. Superheroes are singing. It's it's pretty impressive. Oh, that, well, there's a detail for you that, that I think is worth bringing up real quick because it's just fun. That she is into Avengers fan fiction. Uh-huh. Yes. 
There's some great... She's writing about the Avengers saving, like, the unicorn planet or something <laughs> like that. It's it's really sweet. It's pretty... It's, it's trippy fun. So... So I think... I think we'll wrap it up on that one. Um, so the... Um, this is one I think we both enjoyed a lot. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I wish I could say we'll definitely get to volume two, except our backlog is so huge. Oh, it's huge. it's going to be a while before we start getting to later volumes of stuff we've already covered. Mm -hmm. But on a personal level, yeah, I would like to certainly read that. I, here's your endorsement. I want to read the second volume and not just for this podcast. I just want to read it. I'm in the same boat. I'm glad we've got through the origin bits and now we can just see Kamala take on more serious villains, get a little more of Bruno crushing on her, learn more about her family, see them grow as well. I think it's going to be a fun journey with Ms. Marvel. But it is, it's certainly a solid start, so thank you so much for joining us, folks, and we'll see you again in a month. Yes, yeah, see you soon. Bye. Bye. Punch Like a Girl is a Council of Geeks production. Feedback can be left at the Facebook page and at punchlikeagirlpod.wordpress.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at punchlikeagirl1. The logo and cover art are drawn by Nick Buxom. The theme music is composed and recorded by Erica Dreisbach, whose other works can be found at ericaricardo.com. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Bye! Bye!